We seem to live inside of conceptual schemas. In this way, the largeness of the world diminishes so that it might fit into our hands and be made more workable. These schemas are like filters, limiting the form of the incoming light. Through blue-tinted glasses, the world looks blue. It comes to mind today in light of the events unfolding in Ukraine. Clearly, the Russian invasion of a free European country is meaningful and important. Our attention is captured for good reason. But witness the way in which the media and the opinions of people who hold forth online forces this event through the pre-built slot of intra-American political narratives. Knowing very little about the decades-long situation in Ukraine, the intrigues and ambitions of Vladimir Putin, world affairs and economics, the onlooker at home smirks to himself, or to herself and anyone else who will listen, look here, evidence that my prior opinions are correct. Former President Trump is the hero and savior I always claimed he was. Or, alternatively, given a separate but just as illegitimate lens, look here, evidence that my prior opinions are correct. Former President Trump is the disgusting villain I always claimed he was. There's no capacity to learn anything new, to find unknown truth from behind such a lens. There's only the search for and the inevitable verification of existing biases. The assumptions we start with thereby limit our perceptions and make us ignorant. Take, for example, what President Biden's climate czar, John Kerry, was just reported to have said about the conflict in Ukraine. Paraphrasing, he said that he's concerned this war will distract our attention away from the problem of climate change and that Putin will help us stay on track with what we need to do for the climate. Sorry, John, but what the hell are you talking about? Something tells me that Vladimir Putin doesn't give a damn about Western environmental initiatives. As far as I know, more than half of Russia's income comes from the export of oil and gas. Let's hear next from the public health czar. Well, I just hope that Putin remembers to have his soldiers wear their masks at all times and maintain social distancing while they're shelling Ukrainian cities and shooting the citizens. Obviously, the climate czar's comments are tone deaf because he is looking at the situation through an inappropriate frame. It's like a televangelist responding to an earthquake by railing against gay people. It doesn't make any sense. It's a kind of self-imposed ideological blindness. The more single-minded the person commenting, the more limited is their vision. Not everything in the world is about you and your thing. It's just possible that Putin has ideas and ambitions which, while antithetical to Western democracy, are indifferent to whether or not Donald Trump is an asshole. As mature, free-thinking, responsible adults, we should try to determine what is happening, why it is happening, and what should be done about it. The dopamine kicks of self-serving tweets and headlines is making us stupid, and we're doing it to ourselves. We aren't naturally this dumb. This podcast is not about politics, and it's not about current events. It's about science as an approach to understanding the deep problem of consciousness. The function of science is to eliminate bias. By using appropriate controls and blinded statistics, we try to determine the unvarnished facts. Nevertheless, the paradigm through which we formulate hypotheses makes a huge difference, and it too acts as a kind of filter. Trying to understand the behavior and tendencies of a biological animal clearly implicates a biological approach, grounded in cells and molecules. In particular, the cells and signaling pathways of the brain. But how certain should we be that the cells and signaling pathways are the instruments which produce consciousness? Have we been framing the question of consciousness correctly? I received a tweet mentioned from Colin Hales. He has a new paper, hot off the press, is written together with Peter Kitchener called What Neuroscientists Think and Don't Think About Consciousness. I'm going to share some of this paper with you. 
I'll be quoting it at length, and I hope the authors don't mind. I just think this document's important. Kitchener and Hales discuss the neural correlates of consciousness paradigm. Then they write, quote, The standard mod model of particle physics is about twice the age of modern correlates of form of the science of consciousness. In it, physics has already determined what our biosphere and everything in it is made of. It is effectively entirely electromagnetism. This idea applies to anything made of atoms from the table of elements at a spatial temporal scale above that of atomic particles comprising atoms, electrons, and nuclei. At the atomic level and above, we and our host environment are defined by three things. Space, an electromagnetic field system impressed on space due to subatomic charge and spin content tightly bound up with the subatomic mass, and a gravitational field impressed on space due to subatomic mass, functionally inert in context because it is more than 16 orders of magnitude weaker in force transmission than electromagnetism. In rough terms, at the intraatomic scale, EM fields occupy the space occupied by an atom to the extent of at least 14,999 parts in 15,000. The remaining one part is the interior of electrons and nuclei. When you add in the space between atoms, the proportion of overall spatial occupancy by electromagnetic fields is far higher. We humans are nearly entirely EM field objects. In our context of the brain, when we use the words material or physical, these words refer to electromagnetic phenomena. Therefore, the question, what is it that we are being, has an answer in the Saturn model. We are being electromagnetic fields from the atomic level up. Brevity demands that we avoid going into a discourse on the details, defending it right down into the subatomic intricacies and across the four fundamental force quadrants of the standard model. The standard model's electromagnetic quadrant, atomic basis of our biosphere, is just a basic, well-established, and proved fact of the physics. More important is how this basic fact impacts the science of consciousness. What is it like to be EM fields when the EM fields are configured in the form of a healthy, awake, alert human brain? To be such a configuration of EM fields is, under the right conditions, to be conscious. That is, fundamental physics has already prima facie determined a bottom-up fundamental origin of a first-person perspective, electromagnetic fields. There is literally nothing else there but a functionally irrelevant gravitational field and space. The endogenous electromagnetic field expressed by the atomic level componentry of the brain entirely fills the space occupied by a brain, spilling out from its generating tissue into the surrounding tissue and beyond the skull. An electromagnetic theory of consciousness merely points out that basic fact and explicitly holds particular aspects of the brain as an electromagnetic field accountable for a first-person perspective. As a bottom-up claim made with well-established fundamental physics, such a proposal has a clear critical advantage, giving it priority. Unquote. Colin convinced me of this argument in our personal communications last year. This is reflected in my second paper on the Temporally Integrated Causality Landscape, TICL. This is from my paper. Quote, the TICL framework assumes that consciousness of contents is an emergent property of a sufficiently complex system. Consciousness of contents requires a unified structure of causality with differentiated structures of causality contained within it. The TICL suggests that a unified and sustained thalamocortical electromagnetic field structure must coexist with nested and dynamic subsystemic electromagnetic field structures in order for consciousness to emerge. In contrast to IIT, 
integration among components of a structure is not predicted to correlate with consciousness unless there are subsets of components with higher levels of integration to be appreciated by the wider structure. Thus, a physically nested arrangement is necessary, according to the TICL, for the consciousness of contents." Unquote. I don't think an electromagnetic field is sufficient for consciousness any more than an electromagnetic field is sufficient for being a rabbit, or a hat, or a rabbit in a hat with a bat. These structures, rabbits and hats, are electromagnetic in nature because they are composed of matter. Pulling the rabbit out of the hat is an electromagnetic event. So the authors of this paper are not suggesting that the brain is special in this regard. They're saying that consciousness is dependent upon a particular aspect of the brain's electromagnetic structure and function. In my second paper on the TICL, I recognize this explicitly. Kitchener and Hales are arguing that rather than focusing on the computational aspects of neural tissue that correlate with conscious experience, we should consider the ele electromagnetic aspects of that tissue. I know that Colin is interested in artificial intelligence, so this research direction implies the further advantage that neural tissue is not necessarily required for conscious being. On that, too, I'm in agreement. They write, quote, What the fundamental physics lacks is an explanation of where electromagnetism's potential for a first-person perspective comes from, and what specific patterning of brain EM is necessary and sufficient to create a first-person perspective of a specific kind and specific degree. Here, we set aside this lack as a secondary issue in terms of a strategic direction for the science. What matters is the obvious centrality of electromagnetic fields as the prime candidate for a route to a full explanation of consciousness in fundamental physics terms yet to be formulated. We are all familiar with the electromagnetic field system of the brain. Every measurement ever made in support of any theory of consciousness involves assessing and characterizing electromagnetic properties of the brain. The EM field system impressed on space by brain tissue is therefore not a side effect of cells made of something else. The entire tissue is a single unitary electromagnetic field system impressed on space with atomic level resolution. For example, there is no special substance that is a neuron. A neuron is a collection of electromagnetic fields behaving neuronly to an observer made of EM fields. Chemical or chemical reaction or chemical pathway is a reference to electromagnetic field activity. Mechanical is also an electromagnetic phenomenon. Electrochemical is also selecting phenomena entirely comprised of electromagnetism. Quantum mechanics is not a substance. It is a set of wave equation-based quantizing constraints on electromagnetic field expression, such as that determining the electron orbitals in an atom. Chemical potential is a population statistic depicting average electromagnetic field properties for particular collections of atoms in relation to each other. Action potentials are a system of electromagnetic field dynamics propagating slowly through space, longitudinally following neuronal cell membrane, also an EM field construct. Synapse activity, electrical and chemical, is an electromagnetic field phenomenon. The familiar electrophysiological measurements made in brain tissue detect total field in the brain that is a result of the vector field superposition of myriad individual atomic molecular field sources that superpose to dominate, spatially, temporally, and in intensity, the underlying atomic molecular electromagnetic field noise found at any point in space. Electrical current is a, transmit, is a transit of an electromagnetic field system through space. Ultra-weak biophoton and thermal heat radi radiation is also an electromagnetic field phenomenon originating in the same system of atomic sources. 
Diffusion is a collection of randomly colliding atomic electromagnetic field systems bouncing off each other due to an EM field-based repulsion. To touch something with your finger is to engage in an interaction between the electromagnetic field system of a finger surface and the electromagnetic field of the touched entity." Unquote. This last statement is another way of saying what I said about the rabbit being pulled out of a hat. They wrote that the tissue of the brain is an electromagnetic field system impressed on space. Since we know that the brain produces states of consciousness during wakefulness and dreaming, but not during deep sleep and anesthesia, this proposal requires that under the conditions of consciousness, there must be something to the electromagnetic organization which distinguishes it from non-conscious states. And this is undeniable. Hales and Kitchener point out that electrophysiological measurements like EEG are detecting the electromagnetic field at the location of the electrode. So the well-known signatures of REM sleep, slow-wave sleep and wakefulness, which we see on the EEG, already prove that the electromagnetic configuration of the cortex is distinguishable. This means that we are measuring the electromagnetic correlates of consciousness directly. The authors go on, quote, There is nothing left to describe in the brain that is not electromagnetic fields until we get into the interior of the subatomic constituents of atoms. This property is not limited merely to the brain. The pancreas and the heart, or any other organ, are also electromagnetic field objects from the atomic level up. What distinguishes the brain's EM field system from that of any other organ is that its cells can generate an electromagnetic configuration conferring the first-person perspective for humans. We can apply the same consideration to previous attempts to explain consciousness using top-down abstractions of aggregations of particular formations of EM fields construed as information, signal processing, computation, thalamocortical loop, entropy dynamics, resonance, reciprocal loops, function, behavior, and many others. These are all correlates of labels applied to refer to the organization and properties of EM fields. It doesn't matter whether such depictions of brain tissue operate at molecular, atomic, subcellular, cell organelle, cellular, cell ensemble, cell population, or whole tissue level. In every case, it is electromagnetic fields that literally manifest the observable property hypothesized to originate a first-person perspective. Locating and describing these top-down field abstractions as correlates has for 30 years been held up as a route to an explanation of consciousness. But such abstracted top-down features that correlate with aspects of consciousness seem to have no explanatory relevance to or information concerning the causal basis for having any form of consciousness. An electromagnetic theory of consciousness seeks an explanation in a separate fundamental physics account of how being, bottom-up, electromagnetic fields actually originates a first-person perspective." Unquote. Here they are arguing that the more fundamental physical property of electromagnetism gets us closer to the hard problem, that is, the first-person perspective. The reason this makes sense is that subjectivity seems, if it is not fundamental, to require a kind of hard emergence, which I tend to reject. If subjectivity is a fundamental characteristic of certain configurations of the electromagnetic field, then the electromagnetic properties which make up that configuration are subject to reductive explanation, at least in principle. Kitchener and Hales write, quote, The computational view renders consciousness either a rather unimportant feature of brain function or a causally inert epiphenomenon inhering in it. If everything the nervous system does is computation, and thus computation does everything, then there would seem to be no need for consciousness. This disconnects the computational 
or symbolic representation of brain operation from the physics of the system it represents, the EM physics of nervous system signaling. In other science disciplines, digital models or simulations are used to represent the known and hypothesized attributes and relationships between the elements of a system. Sufficiently accurate and comprehensive models allow prediction that corresponds to the performance properties of the real systems, the ones being modeled, and can validate assumptions and hypotheses used in the model. In the brain sciences, however, the models take on a very different expectation. The simulations are doing exactly the same transformations of signals and data that they are representing in the real system, so must display all phenomena of the system being represented. For example, a computer model of combustion might indicate numerically how much heat is produced, but it doesn't get hot. The simulation uses abstract representations, not the actual physics of combustion. Neuroscientists are entitled to ask what goes missing, in the sense of the heat in the combustion example, when the physics of brain signaling is thrown out and replaced by the physics of a computer. Is the computer and its model really contacting all brain phenomena? If there is something missing, how would we know? Unquote. I've previously discussed this idea about computational modeling in terms of causality. The model is arriving at the same output, given the same inputs, but it is not doing so by the same stream of causal relations. Unlike in the brain, in which neuron 1 influences neuron 2 by means of synaptic transmission, in the model, node 1 does what neuron 1 does, and then node 2 is commanded by the program to do what neuron 2 does. Thus, the computation is taken into account, but the actual causality is coming from somewhere different. To understand this better, consider a video game like Mortal Kombat. Player 1 is using Raiden to battle against Scorpion, who is controlled by Player 2. We see Raiden hit Scorpion, and we see Scorpion go flying in a spray of blood. It looks as if Raiden has caused this to happen to Scorpion. In fact, something like the following has happened. Player 1 has hit buttons on his controller, which are registered by the program. The program computes, given that input, whether the appropriate conditions have been met for Scorpion to be hit, something like an if-then statement. Since the if condition has been met, the program instructs the display to show Scorpion flying away in a spray of blood, a graphical output. In addition, the program computes the new life total for Scorpion and instructs the display to reflect that. Raiden exhibits no actual causality upon Scorpion. Also, the buttons that the player the player one pressed do not exhibit direct causality on Raiden. They cause a change in the electric current coming from the controller, which the software detects and uses for its ongoing computations. The system on which this software is running is in fact operating by means of electromagnetics, but it is not configured in the form of two men having a fist fight. It is configured entirely differently, and we accept that. Nobody asks, how does Raiden get the energy to do combat if he never eats anything? We understand that Raiden isn't real, and we understand that the real flow of energy is coming in the form of electricity gener generated somewhere else by a power plant. Nothing fight-like is happening in the hardware of the game console. Kitchener and Hales write, quote, In brain sciences that study consciousness within the paradigm of computation, there is no perceived need to relate the model's results to the actual physics of brains and neurons. In the current neuroscience paradigm, the physics of brain cells can be entirely ignored once we have sufficient data on activations and connectivity to accurately mimic the signal processing apparently performed by brain signaling physics. The abstracting away of the underlying fundamental physics implies that consciousness will emerge from the analogous, or informationally equivalent, simulation of a model 
of the signal processing that happens in brains. One of the difficulties with accepting this kind of strong emergence as an explanation for consciousness is, is that it is unclear how to proceed from this position to a deeper understanding of how this happens. Emergent, as an explanation, has the same value as using the term happens. Our normal explanation or explanations has been classified as weak emergence because they say something about why things happen in terms of a mechanistic link between the attributes and actions of the relevant parts and the phenomena they generate. This contrasts with strong emergence, which is literally defined as a form of explanatory failure. If consciousness is properly explained, then it would be transformed into weak emergence, a predictable whole resulting from the understood properties of its parts. In recent times, it has become possible to see electromagnetic field interactions within tissue having a direct effect on neuronal excitation. This new signaling mechanism, efaptic transmission, shows the causal power of the brain's endogenous EM fields on its own neural activation. For example, the electromagnetic fields associated with neural activity have been shown to generate traveling waves of neuronal excitation in hippocampal pyramidal neurons. This characterization of efaptic transmission in the hippocampus is significant as it implies that electromagnetic field propagation can transverse considerable distances in laminated and synchronized neuronal assemblies, and laminated neuronal assemblies are a fundamental architectural principle across the central nervous system. This real example of electromagnetic fields having a direct effect on neural signaling reveals another advantage inherent in the EM field approach the provision of a fundamental causal mechanism via the Lorentz force within brain signaling. It means that electromagnetic theories of consciousness offer a plausible physical physics mechanism linking consciousness to brain causality." Unquote. That last point is the most exciting thing, though its details will be difficult to obtain. I have argued that consciousness must serve a function and noted that function implies causality. Like Kitchener and Hale said, computation does not imply consciousness, and I agree with them. This should mean that not all behavior can be accounted for by the inputs and subsequent computations taking place among neurons. But if so, the mechanism is totally mysterious. Perhaps we need a whole new frame of reference. They argue that the electromagnetic field could be the fundamental causal mechanism. If that is so, then the mystery, perhaps the whole mystery, is in the domain of electromagnetic physics not the brain itself. But then what's the difference? Mm -hmm.